Welcome to Bedtime Stories. I'm Lori Mack. Tonight, we will be enjoying Black Beauty by Anna Sewell, chapters 13 through 15. Chapter 13, The Devil's Trademark. One day, when John and I had been out on some business of our master's, and we were returning gently on a long, straight road, at some distance we saw a boy trying to leap a pony over a gate. The pony would not take the leap, and the boy cut him with the whip, but he only turned off on one side. He whipped him again, but the pony turned off on the other side. Then the boy got off and gave him a hard thrashing and knocked him about the head. Then he got up again and tried to make him leap the gate, kicking him all the time, shamefully, but still the pony refused. When we were nearly at the spot, the pony put down his head and threw up his heels and sent the boy neatly over into a broad quickset hedge, and with the rain dangling from his head, he set off home at a full gallop. John laughed quite out loud. Served him right, he said. Oh, 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 cried the boy as he struggled about amongst the thorns. I say, come and help me out. Thank you, said John. I think you are quite in the right place, and maybe a little scratching will teach you not to leap a pony over a gate that is too high for him. And so with that, John rode off. It may be, he said to himself, that that young fellow is a liar as well as a cruel one. We'll just go home by Farmer Bushby's beauty, and then if anybody wants to know, you and I can tell him, you see. So we turned off to the right and soon came up to the stack yard and within sight of the house. The farmer was hurrying out into the road, and his wife was standing at the gate look, looking very frightened. Have you seen my boy? said Mr. Bushby as he came up. He went out an hour ago on my black pony, and the creature has just come back without a rider. I should think, sir, said John, he had better be without a rider, unless he can be ridden properly. What do you mean? said the farmer. Well, sir, I saw your son whipping and kicking and knocking that good little pony about shamefully because he would not leap a gate that was too high for him. The pony behaved well, sir, and showed no vice, but at last he just threw up his heels and tipped the young gentleman into the thorn hedge. He wanted me to help him out, but I hope you'll excuse me, sir. I did not feel inclined to do so. There's no bones broken, sir. He'll only get a few scratches. I love horses, and it riles me to see them badly used. It is a bad plan to aggravate an animal till he uses his heels. The first time is not always the last. During this time, the mother began to cry, Oh, my poor Bill, I must go and meet him. He must be hurt. You had better go into the house, wife, said the farmer. Bill wants a lesson about this, and I must see that he gets it. This is not the first time, nor the second, that he has ill-used that pony, and I shall stop it. I am much obliged to you, Manly. Good evening. So we went on, John chuckling all the way home. Then he told James about it, who laughed and said, Serve him right. I knew that boy at school. He took great airs on himself because he was a farmer's son. He used to swagger about and bully the little boys. Of course, we elder ones would not have any of that nonsense and let him know that in the school and the playground, farmers' sons and laborers' sons were all alike. I well remember one day, just before afternoon school, I found him at the large window catching flies and pulling off their wings. He didn't see me, and I gave him a box on the ears that laid him sprawling on the floor. 
Well, angry as I was, I was almost frightened. He roared and bellowed in such a style. The boys rushed in from the playground and the master ran in from the road to see who was being murdered. Of course, I said fair and square at once what I had done and why, and then I showed the master the flies, some crushed and some crawling about helpless, and I showed him the wings on the windowsill. I never saw him so angry before. But as Bill was still howling and whining like the coward that he was, he did not give him any more punishment of that kind, but set him on a stool for the rest of the afternoon and said that he should not go out to play for that week. Then he talked to all the boys very seriously about cruelty and said how hard-hearted and cowardly it was to hurt the weak and the helpless. But what stuck in my mind was this. He said that cruelty was the devil's own trademark. And if we saw anyone who took pleasure in cruelty, we might know who he belonged to, for the devil was a murderer from the beginning and a tormentor to the end. On the other hand, where we saw people who loved their neighbors and who were kind to man and beast, we might know that was God's mark, for God is love. Your master has never taught you a truer thing, said John. There's no religion without love, and people may talk as much as they like about their religion, but if it does not teach them to be good and kind to man and beast, it's all a sham, all a sham, James, and it won't stand when things come to be turned inside out and put down for what they are. Chapter 14. James Howard. One morning, early in December, John had just led me into my box after my daily exercise and was strapping my cloth on, and James was coming in from the corn chamber with some oats when the master came into the stable. He looked rather serious and held an open letter in his hand. John fastened the door of my box, touched his cap, and waited for orders. "'Good morning, John,' said the master. "'I want to know if you have any complaint or make of James.' "'Complaint, sir? No, sir.' Is he industrious at his work and respectful to you? Oh, yes, sir, always. You never find he slights his work when your back is turned? Never, sir. That's well, but I must put in another question. Have you any reason to suspect when he goes out with the horses to exercise them or to take a message that he stops about talking to his acquaintances or goes into houses where he has no business, leaving the horses outside? Oh, no, sir, certainly not. And if anybody has been saying that about James, I don't believe it, and I don't mean to believe it unless I have it fairly proved before witnesses. It's not for me to say who has been trying to take away James's character, but I will say this, sir, that a steadier, pleasanter, honester, smarter young fellow I have never had in this stable. I can trust his word, and I can trust his work. He is gentle and clever with the horses, and I would rather have them in his charge than in one of half the young fellows I know of in laced hats and liveries. And, and whoever wants a character of James Howard, said John, with a decided jerk of his head, let them come to John Manley. The master stood all this time grave and attentive, but as John finished his speech, a broad smile spread over his face. And looking kindly across at James, who all this time had stood still at the door, he said, James, my lad, set down the oats and come here. I am very glad to find that John's opinion of your character agrees so exactly with my own. John is a cautious man, he said, with a droll smile, and it is not easy to get his opinion. 
about people. So I thought if I beat the bush on this side, the birds would fly out and I should learn what I wanted to know quickly. So now we will come to business. I have a letter from my brother-in-law, Sir Clifford Williams of Clifford Hall. He wants me to find a trustworthy young groom, about 20 or 21, who knows his business. His old coachman, who has lived with him 20 years, is getting feeble, and he wants a man to work with him and get into his ways, who would be able, when the old man was pensioned off, to step into his place. He would have 18 shillings a week at first, a stable suit, a driving suit, a bedroom over the coach house, and a boy under him. Sir Clifford is a good master, and if you could get the place, it would be a good start for you. I don't want to part with you, and if you left us, I know John would lose his right hand. That I should, sir, said John, but I would not stand in his light for the world. How old are you, James? said Master. Nineteen next May, sir. Oh, that's young. What do you think, John? Well, sir, it is young, but he is as steady as a man, and is strong and well-known, and though he has not had much experience in driving, he has a light, firm hand and a quick eye, and he is very careful, and I am quite sure no horse of his would be ruined for want of having his feet and shoes looked after. Your word will go the furthest, John, said the master, for Sir Clifford adds in a postscript, if I could find a man trained by your John, I should like him better than any other. So James, lad, think it over. Talk to your mother at dinner time, and then let me know what you wish. In a few days after this conversation, it was fully settled that James should go to Clifford Hall in a month or six weeks, as it suited his master, and in the meantime, he was to get all the practice in driving that could be given to him. I never knew the carriage to go out so often before, and when the mistress did not go out, the master drove himself in the two-wheeled chase. But now, whether it was master or the young ladies or only an errand, Ginger and I were put in the carriage and James drove us. At first, John rode with him on the box, telling him this and that, and after that, James drove alone. Then it was wonderful what a number of places the master would go to in the city on Saturday, and what queer streets we were driven through. He was sure to go to the railway station just as the train was coming in, and cabs and carriages, carts and omnibuses were all trying to get over that bridge together. That bridge wanted good horses and good drivers when the railway bell was ringing, for it was narrow, and there was a very sharp turn up to the station where it would not have been at all difficult for people to run into each other if they do not look sharp and keep their wits about them. Chapter 15, The Old Ostler. After this, it was decided by my master and mistress to pay a visit to some friends who lived about 46 miles from our home, and James was to drive them. The first day we traveled 32 miles. There were some long, heavy hills, but James drove so carefully and thoughtfully that we were not at all harassed. He never forgot to put on the drag as we went downhill, nor to take it off at the right place. He kept our feet on the smoothest part of the road, and if the uphill was very long, he set the carriage wheels a little across the road so as not to run back, and gave us a breathing. All these little things help a horse very much, particularly if he gets kind words into the bargain. We stopped once or twice on the road, and just as the sun was going down, we reached the town where we were to spend the night. 
We stopped at the principal hotel, which was in the marketplace. It was a very large one. We drove under an archway into a long yard, at the further end of which were the stables and coach houses. Two ostlers came to take us out. The head ostler was a pleasant, active little man with a crooked leg and a yellow striped waistcoat. I never saw a man unbuckle a harness so quickly as he did, and with a pat and a good word he led me to a long stable with six or eight stalls in it and two or three horses. The other man brought Ginger, and James stood by while we were rubbed down and cleaned. I never was cleaned so lightly and quickly as by that little old man. When he had done, James stepped up and felt me over as if he thought I could not be thoroughly done, but he found my coat as clean and smooth as silk. Well, he said, I thought I was pretty quick and our John quicker still, but you do beat all I ever saw for being quick and thorough at the same time. Practice makes perfect, said the crooked little ostler, and twould be a pity if it didn't. Forty years practice and not perfect? <laughs> that would be a pity. And as to being quick, why, bless you. That is only a matter of habit. If you get into the habit of being quick, it's just as easy as being slow. Easier, I should say. In fact, it don't agree with my health to be hulking about over a job twice as long as it need take. Bless you. I couldn't whistle if I crawled over my work as some folks do. You see, I've been about horses ever since I was 12 years old, in hunting stables and racing stables, and being small, you see, I was a jockey for several years. But at the good wood, you see, the turf was very slippery, and my poor larkspur got a fall, and I broke my knee. And so, of course, I was of no more use there. But I could not live without horses. Of course I couldn't, so I took to the hotels. And I can tell ye, it is a downright pleasure to handle an animal like this, well-bred, well-mannered, well-cared for. Bless ye, I can tell how a horse is treated. Give me the handling of a horse for 20 minutes, and I'll tell you what sort of groom he's had. Look at this one. Pleasant, quiet, turns out about just as you want him, holds up his feet to be cleaned out, or anything else you wish to. Then you'll find another fidgety, Freddy won't move the right way or starts across the stall, tosses his head up as soon as you come near him, lays his ears and seems afraid of you, or else squares about at you with his heels. Poor things, I know what sort of treatment they have had, and if they're timid, it makes them start or shy, and if they're high-mettled, it makes them vicious or dangerous. Their tempers are mostly made when they're young. Bless you, they are like children. Train them up in the way they should go, as the good book says, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, if they have a chance, that is. Oh, I like to hear you talk, said James. That's the way we lay it down at home, at our master's. Who is your master, young man? If it be a proper question, I should judge he is a good one from what I see. He is Squire Gordon of Bitwick Park, on the other side of the Beacon Hills, said James. Ah, so, so, I have heard tell of him, fine judge of horses, ain't he, the best rider in the country. I believe he is, said James, but he rides very little now since the poor young master was killed. Oh, poor gentleman, I read all about that in the paper at the time. A fine horse killed too, wasn't there? Yes, said James, he was a splendid creature, brother to this one and just like him. Oh, pity, pity said the old man. "'Twas a bad place to leap, if I remember. A thin fence at the top, a steep bank down to the stream, wasn't it? No chance for a horse to see where he's going. Now, I'm for bold riding as much as any man, 
But still, there are some leaps that only a very knowing old huntsman has any right to take. A man's life and a horse's life are worth more than a fox's tail. At least I should say they ought to be. During this time, the other man had finished Ginger and had brought our corn, and James and the old man left the stable together. That is all for tonight. What fine chapters those were. Very enjoyable. Come back again and we will read chapters 16 through 18. Good night.